Yeah, that sense of community is so important. And when it when it happens, because uh, it's 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 hard to actually make it happen, you know. And yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I spend an enormous amount of time just working on my own, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. And and so a book really does become a community. An anthology like this is a community, and that's very precious a thing to really on this episode of playtime wherever i'm at a comprehensive and historic anthology of chicago poetry plus featured indie artists crown vic royal and aj rosales i'm your host wc turk Poetry is the ready-wear passion of true democracy, the coffee shop crier, the lover, the watcher, and the energy of the righteous protest and socially conscious subversive. It is a caution, a warning, pure heart, and it is rhythm. Poetry is eternal. Chicago has always had poetry in its bones. It is here in Chicago that the Poetry Slam was first created. Wherever I'm at, an anthology of Chicago poetry is edited by Executive Director of the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame, Donald G. Evans, who completed the project begun by the late poet, editor, and teacher Robin Metz, formerly of Knox College, and features a foreword by noted scholar Carlo Rutello. Wherever I'm at also features a noteworthy cover by Chicago artist Tony Fitzpatrick. This is a book of moments of those things that define Chicago. Mary Livoni's black and white photograph, Ashland Number 8, renders a bridge across the Chicago River. That simple image tells a greater story, historical, geographical, spiritual, mythological. The river is metaphor and nostalgia in Ray Andujar's poem, Avondale by the River. Livoni beckons the question of where does the bridge, the door in the photograph lead to, escape, Sanctuary? Separation? The river and its addendum, the Illinois and Michigan Canal, fragments the city with allusions to the founding of Chicago along the river's once marshy banks. Built from steel and iron in the once great mills along Lake Michigan shores, in the Great Fire it proved a salvation for some, a fatal impediment to others. For better or for worse, the river defines us. Wherever I'm at, an anthology of Chicago poetry reminds us of those myriad definitional points, almost too numerous to list, but too essential to exclude. Sandra Cisneros, a good hot dog. Steal Away, 
by Michael Anania, who paints a tribute to the great Curtis Mayfield. Janet Ruth Heller takes us to Miller's Pub, and there is the essence of revolution and protest over Laquan McDonald from Daniel Borzutsky in Lake Michigan, Scene Zero. Evans, continuing a Herculean effort begun by the late Robin Metz, has created a true piece of Chicago literary history. Included in this critical piece of Chicago culture is photographer, filmmaker, and cinepoet Mary Livoni, and Dr. Ray Andujar, an award-winning author, poet, playwright, filmmaker, and screenwriter. He is an assistant professor at Governor State University, where he teaches courses in Spanish literature and sociology. Ray joins us from the Dominican Republic. Mr. Uh, Mr. Evans, talk about Robin's initial work on this, how it all came together, and then how you got involved. Yeah, well, my real involvement didn't start until a couple months before Robin died of pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. I knew about the project for years before that. Robin started the uh, anthology in 2009. Sometime after that, he recruited Nina Corwin to be his partner in the book. So over the years, as his friend, Robin would tell me, give me updates about what he was doing with the anthology mm -hmm. and ask me for um, suggestions for poets and pieces that maybe he didn't know about because I was a little bit more familiar with the Chicago poetry community than he was. Mm -hmm. um, it was not my project, so I was just an outsider. So I right. didn't um, have any real involvement until the end when Robin, uh, you know, Robin, uh, Nina had dropped out of the project years before and Robin, for reasons that had to do with Robin, mm -hmm. uh, not, not completing the project, not fulfilling his end of it. It was a project that had become dormant and had been dormant for many years, but in Robin's mind, it was still important. It was something he really regretted not being able to finish and complete in the way he wanted. Yeah. And so we had a couple conversations in Door County when he um, shared you know, some of his ideas, what he had done. His wife, Liz, um, transferred files to me. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to get a sense of like what he had hoped for. And then he turned it over to me. He knew at that point that I would basically have to start over yeah. in many ways, but I tried always as I moved forward to maintain a sense of a connection to Robin, uh -huh. what he, what he thought and what he might think and yeah. uh, what his aspirations were because this book would not have happened without Robin Metz because he, you know, I was close with him and he convinced me to, to, to finish the project. So that was um, primarily what his role was, was to, you know, sort of pass it off to me, share what his ideas were and let me, you know, finish what he was unable to finish. The scope of this project is, is astounding, but I could see that it could have been overwhelming. How much, how much of the original material that Robin acquired or amassed made it into into the final book or was it was it this this constant uh this constant editing and re-editing uh, a, a, a constant search for for material and I, I guess i guess maintaining fresh material how did how how did that work well i couldn't you know just use anything from the original um, yeah yeah database because yeah they'd become um, uh, obsolete. Obsolete, yeah. In, in the sense that not that the poetry is obsolete, but um, because the submissions were more than a decade before or a decade yeah. before, I couldn't just assume that the wishes of the authors were still for that poem to be published yeah. Yeah. or for that they, or that there had, for in many cases, there were updates of the poem yeah. or the poems were not, about Chicago. So I had imposed a rule that was not a rule of Robin and Nina's, which is that, that Chicago had to be identifiable in every poem. Uh -huh. So they had collected a lot of poetry that were by Chicago writers, but not about, about Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. So I, what I did was I, I basically made a database of all of the poems and poets that had submitted, Yeah. went through it, uh, you know, sort of re-canvassed. Mm -hmm. 
the poets that I knew and, and, you know, I read all the poems and mm -hmm. there were some I liked um, a lot and was hoping that we could use those poems. Mm -hmm. But often it was a case where I, I would go back to a poet and say, look, you know, this, just to remind you in 2009, you submitted mm -hmm. these three poems. This is the one I really like, but what I'm asking is, I'm inviting you to contribute. Yeah. It can yeah. be this poem, it can be an updated poem, a, a version of this, or it could be a different poem, but it's gotta be about Chicago. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I only pick one poem per poet. So I, I worked with that database and certainly there are poems and poets that were in the original uh, archives of the project yeah. who are in this book. Yeah. What percentage, I don't know. There's, you know. there's a fair number of them, probably 30 or 40. Um, I think the power of this book is the snapshot in time representing the, the vibrant diversity of voices from Angela Jackson, Xavier Nuez, uh, Faisal Muadine, Dimitri Samov, um, Naoko uh, Fujimoto, I hope I got, got that correct, Tanika Johnson, just to name a very, very few, was rendering the diversity, the absolute magical diversity of the city of Chicago. Was that a goal of yours or was, was that just something that naturally came from the DNA of working with so many uh, poets around the city? Well, you know, every, every story, every book is an artifice and, and the, yeah. the, the trick of the creator is that they created in such a way that the artifice is invisible. Yeah. So there, there is an artifice. It, it, you know, things don't just fall in place perfectly. Um, I did feel that um, the Chicago that I wanted to represent and to um, tell the story of mm -hmm. Chicago that was diverse um, in many ways. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's remarkable because of, it's remarkable and it's powerful for all of the, different voices that are represented in the city yeah. and so um some of it was natural because there's so many great poets and artists who yeah. come from different backgrounds that just picking out the best work naturally brings together a lot of different voices and, and represents a lot of different um visions of chicago but, uh, but a lot of perspectives could uh, a lot of perspectives if you're not working to that, that ideal can get left off the table, so to speak. And you include so many voices uh, and, and they're, they're great voices, but it's, it's as if you haven't excluded any community of Chicago. Right. And so that was, um, you know, it's like any collection, mm -hmm. right? I, I'm a collector. I collect books. I collect bobbleheads. Um, <laughs> at first you're just, you know, um, you're acquiring. Yeah. You know, you're just amassing a bunch of them, right? And then at a certain point, you don't have enough bookshelf space. Yeah. You don't have enough space <laughs> on your mantle for all the bobbleheads. So you <laughs> you start to, you know, think about, well, what are the, you know, what are the pieces that I'm trying to, you know, what what do I want on my shelf? You're looking for that critical mass, those so those, you're curating. Yeah. So, yeah. so as you curate your acquisition becomes a little bit more particular. You, you might have a special interest in one kind of, uh, you know, bobblehead versus another, right? And, and so I was curating the collection after I had amassed enough poets. Then I started to look and say, well, you know, this is an aspect of Chicago that I don't find here. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to go out and try to acquire a poem, which meant to find a poem uh, that I really loved or a poet that I really respected to give me something that would then fill those gaps. So that was the curation part. And that came really after there was a certain uh, mass of poems already. And I started to look at them and say, well, what about, you know, we already have five poems about Lake Michigan, but what about the Chicago River? Or, you know, what about this? Or what about that? So, um, so that was how I curated it. Uh, by, by the way, I, sh I should tell you that I had a massive, massive uh, introduction written that I had stopped. I, I was I was at like three pages and then I was like, there was just there was so much about about wherever I'm at. Uh, it's just an astounding book. Please 
tell us the story one more time of, of how you decided on this particular cover for wherever I'm at, uh, an illustration by, uh, by Tony Fitzpatrick. Well, Tony Fitzpatrick is, I think most people in Chicago know, and, and a lot of people around the world know, is one of our finest uh, contemporary artists. Uh -huh. He's a Chicagoan through and through. His work is, um, you know, it, it's unique. It's interesting. It's powerful. So um, I didn't even think that, I, you know, I didn't even think that, you know, asking Tony for a cover was a reasonable request. What I did was I asked him for a poem because uh, Tony has written a lot of poetry. Um, yeah, yeah. A longer form, Bumtown is one of the great Chicago poems. I don't know uh, near this train. I live in Ukrainian village, but I too have a nemesis, a built-in enemy that I must observe. She is small, but ferocious. She is five foot one. She is Ukrainian lady. It all started when I got my dog, Chooch. I adopted him for paws, and he gives me such pleasure. One day I'm walking him down the street toward the Ukrainian lady's house, and she goes, show me a little bag for dog mess, Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Actor. So I pull out my CBS plastic bag and show it to her. No flies on me, baby. I'm good. How do you know I'm an actor? She goes, well, I caught your marvelous performance yesterday in my front yard. She goes, when you bend over and pinch up your face and pretend to pick up dog mess, you look around so slick, but I'm not stupid. I'm not Pollock. I wait for you to leave. I run down the steps and there it is. Big pile, still steaming even. She had me. Now she follows me every single morning. 50 feet behind me, not 60, not 40. 50 feet, hectoring me the whole way. She says, I hear you are also poet, Mr. Big Shot. I too wrote poetry, wrote haiku poem, just for you. Soviet wall comes down. Oh joy, idiot on the other side. So I asked him for a poem and he um, said, well, um, would you like a cover? And so I went down to his, uh, he invited me to go down to his uh, studio on, on Western. And mm -hmm. um, I met with his assistant and he let me look at all of the different pieces that might work. Mm -hmm. The one I found was absolutely perfect in part because it has a beautiful Chicago poem yeah. really interesting and you know kind of exotic Chicago Tony Fitzpatrick poem that is part of the artwork and then the artwork itself is so you know it's a mosaic of different mm -hmm. you know, little pieces of Chicago history and iconic Chicago and so you know once I found that and even though I love so much of Tony Fitzpatrick's work I was there for an hour, hour and a half, me and Susan Dennison looking through work. Susan Dennison is a board member of the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame. Uh -huh. I, you know, and nothing was quite perfect. And then I found that one and I knew instantly that that was it. And so then uh, Al DiGenova, the After Hours publisher and a uh, poet who also has a poem in the book, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, he designed, you know, the book and, you know, uh, we sent him uh, Tony's uh, assistant sent him the cover and then he started to arrange it in a way that um, eventually became what what you see on the cover now so you know it was Tony's generosity when I was asking him for a poem and he said you know well you know I can give you a piece of art that you can use for the cover and and like wow. I said I hadn't I hadn't thought to ask Tony for that because I thought that was too grand of a request and um, but he he offered it and and of course I I'm not speaking for Tony, but but I suspect he saw the um, the historical significance of this book. I, I'm not trying to sell the book or oversell the book, but this is this is a, a, a historically significant piece of of Chicago literature, in my estimation. Well, thank you. Yeah. At night, twenty second was a streak of colored lights. Electric winks of neon glancing off plate glass and sidewalks as headlights surged by. The air smelled of restaurants, frying burgers, pizza parlors, 
the cornmeal and hot oil blast of taquerias. Music collided out of open bars, and when it rained and the lights on the oily street shimmered, DJ would start whistling Harlem Nocturne in the back seat. I'd inherited a 53 Chevy from my father. He hadn't died, but he figured the car had. It was a real blightmobile, a kind of mustardy baby shit yellow where it wasn't rusting out, but built like a tank and rumbling like one too. That car would not lay rubber, not even when I'd floor it in neutral and then throw it into drive. Some nights there would be drag races on 25th place, a dead-end street lined with abandoned factories and junkers that, that winos dumped along the curb. It was suggested to me on more than one time that my Chevy should take its rightful place along the curb with the junkers. The dragsters would line up their machines gleaming, customized, bullnose, raked and chopped, oversized engines revving through chrome pipes. Then someone would wave a shirt and they'd explode off, burning rubber down an aisle of wrecks. We'd hang around watching till the cops showed up, then scrape up some gas money and go riding ourselves, me behind the wheel and Ziggy fiddling with the radio. Mary Lavoni, let's talk about your work for a moment, please. How do you come to a cinepoem? You you spoke about about working with Stuart Dybeck, who we were just listening to. Is it is it purely subjective on your part? Are you sort of incorporating the the vision or the interpreted vision of of the of the poet? How how do you come to that that original cinepoem? Uh, it's purely subjective yeah. with the blessing of of whoever's involved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I ever had the sense that that wasn't the case, the project would be over. But yeah. Um, yeah. in Stuart's case, uh, you know, he's given me his blessing and I have found my, I've found the visuals. And it's like Don said, with every large project, you know, you come in with hopes and dreams. Yeah and, yeah, and grand ambitions. I can remember all the way back to the beginning, the very first time I read the story of The Apprentice, I remembered liking so much that the bridges were characters in the story, mm -hmm. especially the, the final bridge. And there's a line in there about that, you know, there's really only two characters and the, the young boy sees the one of the bridges as a pair of wings. And I've played with that idea in so many ways over the years trying to give that the perfect sort of and I'm I'm working through it again now yeah, at yeah. on the most sort of intense level I've attempted so far does that is that an answer I, it I is and and uh, by the way we'll post to uh, uh post a link to uh, apprentice2021.com uh, your your project uh <laughs> the film that yeah, you're working I'm sure on with ran into a year with Stuart, yeah, Stuart Diva. In, <laughs> uh, in the intro, uh, I referred to your work um, as, as, a, as a cinepoet. This speaks to Ray uh, and what he was talking about, about the visual uh, aspect of storytelling. And, and so we'll dive into that in, in, in a moment. But I wanted to come here. Uh, I found a wonderful intersection between, between your project, Mary, and with Stuart Dybeck and Ray's work storytelling traditions, visual art, and poetry. And I would love to explore that a little bit more with you if I could. Stuart lived in Little Village and Pilsen, both traditionally mm -hmm. immigrant-dominated and sustained neighborhoods. Uh, mm -hmm. Together with Ray's work, where he represents, in, in, in my opinion, and, uh, and Ray, you can certainly, um, certainly argue with me on, on this if you like, but there's there's an outside inside cultural perspective on America, which I I think is is essential, as well as celebrating a very unique blend that uh, I, I I think maybe can only be found in in the Dominican Republic and and maybe other parts of the Caribbean, but the, it has a unique blend of Spanish and. Uh, indigenous and African cultural heritage, um, which I think, by the way, is, is a gem, a, 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 a hidden gem of wherever I'm at. I, I'd love your thoughts, Ray, on that outside-inside duality and how it informs your poetry. Well, I'll, I'll, I want to go back to, uh, I mean, first being approached by Don with this idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm telling you, uh, I never was asked 
what I thought about Chicago or uh -huh. me as an artist living in that city. I, I have written and produced many movies from the Dominican Republic. The two latest projects, uh, one is Candela, based mm -hmm. in one of my novels, and another one is a documentary uh, called Island of Two Republics, um, exploring the, the, the history of the two republics, the Dominican Republic and the Republic of Haiti. Mm -hmm. I did all that from Avondale, looking at the snow or looking at the, the changes. But now I was able to talk about Chicago as a Caribbean, as yeah. an artist. And for me, the question was, you know, very strong. And this, this, this project for me is huge because also I don't necessarily publish poetry. I usually work on fiction, novels, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, essays, or film or theater, but poetry is something that I reserve when I write because, for example, all that my character says, some characters of mine are poets, I write their poems first, mm -hmm. but I never publish them. I, I quote them in my books. I can have a, a, one of my uh, characters saying one of their poems, mm -hmm. but um, I never came, came out like as, an, as a poet. So it was great for me also to write in English like that. Yeah, um, yeah. by the river. So for me, it was uh, rediscovering myself, but especially rediscovering my city. Because again, to write this poem, I had to go out and look at Chicago in a different way mm -hmm. that I have never approached it before. And it was only four blocks, you know. But now I'm able, mm -hmm. with the work of Mary and other and other and other artists in the book, seeing Chicago in a different way and feel part of a community, which mm -hmm. is great, which never happened to me. And I can understand what Mary says, uh, like working her poems the way she does with another medium gives gives them some freedom. Yeah, being part of a community that allows you to do that, and as an artist, um, it's great because then you can explore other structures. I want to write more poems. I want to do my poem to be a serious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that sense of community is so important. And when it when it happens, because uh, it's 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 hard to actually make it happen, you know. And yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I spend an enormous amount of time just working on my own, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. And and so a book really does become a community. An anthology like this is a community, and that's very precious. A thing to really celebrate. That's brilliant. That's a, that's a brilliant way to put it, um, Don. I'd love you to talk about the immigrant perspective in the book, because it, it really does come through strongly with the diversity of, of great voices from across the city. This is the city that I grew up in, this diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural city, um, and, and it's the reason that I stay here. But that, that conversation comes through so strong in this book. Talk about that aspect of wherever I'm at, Don. Well, Ray touched uh, upon it a little bit in terms of the way I approached um, artists. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did not try to in any way influence what the artists were doing, but I had mm -hmm. a trust in the artists. Mm -hmm. And so when I invited people like Mary and Ray to contribute, I, I trusted that what they would do would be not only of, of exceptional quality, but that it would be part of this conversation that I was trying to, to make happen. Yeah. And as Mary says, um, and, and Mary also mentioned, she gave me a couple different options. A lot of the artists gave me options to choose from. And especially as the book started to get closer to complete, it was important for me to be able to find different pieces that filled gaps that I thought maybe weren't there is that were not necessarily, you know, that weren't redundant, but offered something unique. So in some ways, this is an idealized community in that it, I think it really represents what Chicago is, except that Chicago, like a lot of major cities, is still very segregated. The, the artist community among artists, I think we really do move more freely yeah. among people. But you know, we mentioned Stuart Dybeck before, mm -hmm. the short stories he's writing, the poetry he's writing. Um, he has talked a lot about Chicago as a port of entry. Mm -hmm. uh, it was then when he first started, you know, publishing, it was way before him. It is now, it's a port of entry. 
people are entering at different times from different places. So in general, what I was trying to do was not to try to, to direct, you know, this movie, but just try to, to get a bunch of brilliant actors to come and make a movie. I didn't necessarily have a script. I wasn't giving directions. I was just trusting that if we got enough really good artists and poets mm -hmm. and brought mm -hmm. them together that then I could start to arrange it in a way that that told the story of Chicago that I had, you know, envisioned. And a lot of that has to do with the immigration experience and some of it not. You know, we've got poets here that, you know, that, you know, whose ancestors in Chicago date back to the earliest settlers. Mary, speaking of Stuart Dybeck, he was born in Chicago. Were his parents immigrants to Chicago? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and and a lot of his work really speaks to to that that nostalgic sort of first impressions kind of uh, kind of view of Chicago. In other words, every everything everything is new because everything was new to him. Growing up in an immigrant household, it would have been new to his parents. They would have he would have mirrored their impressions. So it, it's it's really this definitional aspect of of the city. I I would agree. It's it's a defining aspect of the city, um, and I I've seen it firsthand all around me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's still very much a port of entry. Uh, there's a community just to the north of me in a park where, really, it's astonishing how many immigrant families are there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And how. It, you just feel it. I, I'm not from here. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And even as a kid, I knew that Chicago was the city where there were neighborhood newspapers printed in the languages of the defining... Um, Their language, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that fascinated me. I, I was fascinated by that. And I, then I saw it firsthand when I, when I came here. I, I'm not, I'm never sure how to, how to like engage that, you know, Lee Young Lee, absolutely mm -hmm. love his work. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's, he's similar to Stuart and, and actually I don't think he was born here. He, he is a true immigrant. Those histories as they've been explained through poetry are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. And they transcend, you know, the, the countries and the, I know people that grow up here that say, you know, this is all very tribal. You know, it's 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 them and us. I know there are people that feel that way. But again, see, when I look, that's why this brings it all together. Uh -huh. um, I spent much of the war in former Yugoslavia, traveling throughout uh, the war zone, but also in, in areas adjacent to the war zone, in Serbia and Belgrade. I, I was in, in Belgrade under Slobodan Milosevic. Wow. Um, who had who had crafted this this nationalism, this nationalist identity based upon separation from the world. It's us mm -hmm. against the world. And mm -hmm. and and I, I know I, I know we can draw parallels to this country right now, but it was Serbia against the world. And we needed to close off our borders. We needed to close down influences from outside. In, in order to protect ourselves, or to protect our Serbian heritage and our Serbian way of life or Serbian culture. I heard that again and again. I heard it on, I heard it on the mountainside overlooking Sarajevo from people manning gun batteries, that they were protecting their Serbian culture. And what they ended up doing was at the end of that period, ultimately destroying their culture by that artificial separation where if they had opened if they had opened their their borders and opened their arms and opened their culture to to the world they would have they they would have become a destination for people mm -hmm. to go and visit that culture and experience that culture right. as opposed to as opposed to an antagonistic uh culture that was uh, was going to destroy itself. And the rest of the world was only too happy to have them do that. So, so that, that would be my reaction. And, and I'd love, love Ray's 
uh, would love Ray's reaction to this. That would be my reaction to to people who 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 would would frame the diversity and and even the neighborhood separation sort sort of as tribal is that we're an open enough city that mm -hmm. that we allow parts of that city and aspects of that city and aspects of those those other cultures and and outside influences to become special mm -hmm. right your thoughts on that please it was very easy to me to notice um the the, the positive side of that in chicago yeah when i driving through the midwest yeah realizing that chicago is so different from anything that is around her mm -hmm. um exactly so when i when i met my wife i met my wife during my phd years in puerto rico and i was doubting to leave the caribbean again to go to the united states and all that and she says you know chicago is a different city i mean you will be able to connect with a lot of stuff there it's it's very international you 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 will i don't think that you will lose your caribbean sense mm -hmm. living in chicago and it's true, but not because I found another Caribbean community in Chicago, but because I saw myself in the Polish community, in the Ukrainian community, in the Argentinian community. I found myself there being more universal. And um, Chicago allowed me to perform poetry. For example, I was able to perform uh, Federico Garcia Lorca's poetry in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I, decided, I decided not to read translations. I decided to do it in Spanish and put a, a huge... Uh, a screen and and then put the translation on, but not for people necessarily translate word by word, but to get a feel of what was happening. And when the show was over, people come to me and say, you know what? I didn't need to read the, the poems. I was just mm -hmm. listening to you. Chicago is a city that can sur surprise you like that. So mm -hmm. I, I was, I, I'm just so grateful that I was able to honor the city and through, right. through so what I do. I, I think that becomes uh, a, a book like this becomes a monolithic testament to to what Mary and Ray are talking about. Do you agree? Definitely. Of, of, of course, of course. It is a great opportunity to see how a book itself in its conception can yeah. be so similar to the subject that is that is talking about it's like a performance the book is like a performance on its own you know i i'd like to dive off on, into a, a tangent here uh ray something that we talked about uh, a bit earlier about the visual aspect of poetry and spoken word some of the things that you've done on stage i'm thinking especially of, of a piece that you did by pablo neruda that uh, that i saw on youtube tell me if, if i'm reading too much into this that there's a dramatic emotive element to, to poetry, especially Caribbean poetry that has to be seen and acted out on stage in order to, in order to, uh, to render those words fully and honestly. Well, we, uh, in the Caribbean, you usually speak with your whole body. Yes. So that's something that we have in that mix that you mentioned earlier, you know, the indigenous the, the Hispanic and then the main element, which is the Black, the Afro element. Yes. I mean, usually when, when we talk about the Caribbean in that triangle, people usually forget to stress the fact that the Afro is the base. Yeah. Um, and exactly, for years, we were trying to white this history of us, saying that it's Taino and Hispanic. And then that the Africans can, came later. We don't care who, when they came from. They, they, mm -hmm. they came and they, um, their, their impressions lasted in our, in our system, in our right. poems. And uh, if you go back to those Cuba, the, the Cuba Afro poetry movement, you can see that, yeah, the words are important, but mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint these words with my body, with my sweat, with, with my movement. So that's what I take it from. And then Chicago, as you mentioned, the home for the, for the poetry slam. Mm -hmm. um, I learned so much of these young poems, just poet, young poets, people that mm -hmm. I would visit in high schools. And instead of me reading my poetry to them, we will do conversations about poetry. And you'll see them. You can see their freedom right away when they are able just to use their word and then connect them with their body. 
So I use that power and I, and I take from that power to do what, I, what I've done because you have to understand, I've been living in Chicago for more than 15 years now. Yeah. So most of the work that I, most of the things that you've seen, even if they are in Spanish, they have a Chicago power in, the, in them, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, brother, brother, you look good for being here for 50 years, man. I got I to tell you, I'm finishing work on a book, uh, The History of Life for the Artist, uh, defining those cultural steps in our evolution and enlightenment as a species. In the narrative, I build a case for storytelling as the first form of art, and would, which would support what Ray just said about, about African uh, culture and storytelling in, uh, in the Caribbean. In the, and that's based up, uh, upon brain studies in rhythm and in poetry and spoken word that we, we connect to poetry neurologically and biologically. There was just this great study measuring the so-called goosebump factor. Uh, yeah, which measured, uh, which, which indicates that recognizing uh, and reacting to speech rhythms are as old as our species. Ray on stage uh, you talked about in poetry and in Spanish and African and indigenous poetry, you use your whole body and facial gestures to communicate drama and tension. I, I would, I would love, I would love Mary and Don's thoughts uh, about this, but the, the power of, of Afro-Latin poetry um, in as much as, is as much in the visual as it is the spoken word as, as it is in, in, in the written word. Do you, uh, do you guys agree? Absolutely. And I, listening to this, I'm reminded it's so incredible to be in a room where people are reading yeah. and yeah. performing. Uh, that's fantastic. The goosebump factor. The I goosebump completely factor. understand that. Uh -huh. I just at the, um, at the book lunch, I was sitting in the room after we recovered from the tornado uh -huh. with goosebumps as I listened to the readers. I, it's a, there's just no comparison to, mm -hmm. to that experience. By, by choosing to work in video, I've kind of taken it to a different platform where people are watching them on their phones. It's not, it's not the same as being in the room. No, no. And, and that, by the way, is, is unique to poetry, that goosebump factor. Um, and this was, the, uh, I'll, I'll cite the piece here. It was an uh, August uh, 2017 piece in Social Cognitive and Effective Neuroscience, The Emotional Power of Poetry uh, and Neural Circuitry, Psychophysiology, and composition, uh, Compositional Principles. And, and I'll post a link to that as well. But it, it was foundational to me. Ray, does that get us back? or closer to more fully connect with our, our ancient African storytelling traditions? Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of stor storytelling and uh -huh. cuenta cuentos um, in, in, in these traditions. But also, if the, the listener of the poem takes something with him or her of that experience, of that, of that sonoric experience, you, of course, like in everything in life, you, you can butch, butcher a poem, you know, if you don't say it in the <laughs> right way of the right intonations and all that. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, it's, it's all about practice and repetition. Mm -hmm. Because as I do that, um, and, and Mary and Dan kind of speak to that, you start looking at the images and you repeat and repeat and repeat. And there is a moment when you are performing that you are in communion with, with the audience and mm -hmm. with the room and with those images that you are creating. And for me, it's about, you know, not necessarily the performance as an exterior, but the performance in the internal part. Mm -hmm. How can I, how, what kind of, what kind of images, artistic moments of lyrics are we creating together when, mm -hmm. when we are listening to the poem? How we are co-creating. Co-creating is a great way to approach the po the poetic work you know poetry definitely and there's energy there's so much energy in in a room full of people listening mary your piece ashland number eight there's there's a poetic resonance in in that piece in that image and and people could people may look at it and just say it's just a bridge but again as as we spoke about earlier that it's an iconic aspect of this city, like like hot dogs, that is under-recognized. But there, there's a poetry to that piece. I, I'd, I'd love you to take us inside that. I've taken pictures of those bridges. That's the Webster, the 
the Webster Bridge uh, uh-huh. is what you're seeing there. That It's at Webster and Ashland on the north side. I lived in that neighborhood a long time ago when it was um, very much a kind of a little mini industrial neighborhood. There was a tannery and a scrapyard. Um, I was sort of, the, the building I lived in was kind of the last little apartment building before it sort of opened up into these uh, tire yards, scrapyard, tannery. And the river was right there. Tannery was making use of the river. Anyway, I have taken pictures of that area, just so many that I recently realized, like, I don't even remember the year that I took Ashland aid. So I went and I looked at it. I looked it up and I figured it out. And I, and I was able to remind myself that's early morning. That's probably 7 a.m. And it, it, you know, it's, that's photography, right? Like one second, it's amazing. And then another second and another frame, you're like, oh. And yeah. it, it just happens to be that the light is just, just right there. Like that little um, wonderful little figure that's mm-hmm. in uh, cement, you know, all of it just came into sort of clarity. And again, like that is, that's the beauty of photography. Unlike, you know, anything that's a performance, <laughs> really, I, it's just I have a to, second. I have of, to ask you this. The right light. I have to ask you this, uh, digital or film? digital digital okay Okay. yeah Um, so you know i'm i live in i live in a house of photographers we (laughs) we both are and we're both digital um i i would it would be great to shoot in film but i just i i don't know (laughs) it's expensive (laughs) it's become obsolete i can still smell the chemicals i still remember what it's like to develop my own photographs I, (laughs) i can i can recall the smell of the fix but nope, digital. All right. You know, and I've asked that question to some of the greatest photographers on the planet, David Yarrow and Julian Wasser. That they, they, they all say digital. <laughs> they, they've all, they've well, all, they started in film, they moved to digital. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, in our basement is an eight by 10 camera, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous thing, (laughs) right? And completely Mm -hmm. obsolete. I think it's a beautiful thing. Like we live Mm -hmm. in this, we're we're living through this incredible life transforming technology that's that's making it possible for us to connect right now. And photography is forever changed. It is practiced now all the time on phones. Does growing up, does growing up on, on film, however, make you more cause you to edit what you're taking a picture of or i i've i've grown into digital i started out in film i went to war with film um and And you know yeah now now i'll I'll take a hundred pictures of the same thing because i can yeah um but (laughs) but there there was a time when i was when i was still composing inside the camera um, because because of that that economy of of of, of how precious a, a film was. For sure, I remember that vividly. And you were yeah. like, "How many shots do I have left? Like, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. blow anything here. Like, I this has to, you know, you have to get it right mm-hmm. now, or you know." And then the surprise later when you see how it all comes out, you know, like the things that you know turned out the way you wanted them to. Yeah, but I, you know, we're that's like kind of an at this point to me, that's another world. Like I'm so grateful for the freedom of what we have now because it's it's a it's enabled me to do so much more than I could but have you're, ever done. But you're you're right. It is the eye of the photographer because you need to know what to see and when to see it because because light and circumstances can change in an instant. And they do. And they do. Every they instant. Do. I, I remember uh, a long time ago sitting in an like uh, an editing room yeah, and yeah. you know gajillion dollars worth of equipment all mm-hmm. around me mm-hmm. while someone explained to me like you know well this is where we you know all, all of the things that have made kind of indie filmmaking possible mm-hmm. I'm benefiting mm-hmm. from as well right I don't know Ray how you feel about that like I I think this has been great for artists like all of all that digital has made possible has been fantastic it gives you the um more alternative smile now yeah Uh, Yeah. because when we were making uh we made a short film to finance uh the movie candela Mm -hmm. and it was like a pre-history of the film and we did that totally digital 
Mm. And when the when the movie came along, we we might have the opportunity to use some digital stuff to 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 do it. Mm -hmm. um, but we basically did the the first the first a couple of tries in a digital form. But then we decided to go let's let's use uh, a the the Havana Symphonic Orchestra to do this part of the score. But if if we were able to dream it digitally first mm -hmm. yeah and when we decided to to go and do it let's say and with the, with all the materials it was easy for us to budget for that and to prepare for that because mm -hmm. we kind of re, re, rehearse it in a digital way have you thought of doing an audio version of this book or is that just too too much to to try to bring all of these great poets to in, in, into one place the focus right now is on the, the book. I think eventually my goal with the Hall of Fame, with everything, we, is to make the work as accessible as possible. And digital is the way to do that. But we want to sell a lot of books first. <laughs> yeah. And, um, able to, you know, make the project successful. So mm -hmm. the digital will come later. Um, we've, you know, I've, I've thought about an audio book. It would be fantastic. We, we've been collecting um, a lot of the poets doing audios. We did a book trailer with some of it. Um, we've gotten some video, Rana Segal, who's a fabulous uh, videographer who does a lot of work for the Hall of Fame and does documentary work. She has taken some, uh, uh, she took some video at the uh, launch. Because of technology, it is possible. Yeah, it would be yeah. impossible if we had to get everybody into the studio because there's, uh, you know, 134 poets and they live all over the place. Uh, so that would be impossible, but it's possible uh, maybe, maybe, and it probably is worth doing, but something we won't entertain for, you know, until uh, this book has mm -hmm. uh, had a chance to be a book. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's great. Um, and I, I, so I know everybody's time is very precious here, um, but I'd love everyone's thoughts on this as well. The visual component, uh, of this book, wherever I'm at, an anthology of Chicago poetry is economical and uh, and powerful. My dear friend Leo uh, Leo Segedin has a piece in the book, and the cover, as I said, by Tony Fitzpatrick, could not be more perfect. And it's worth the price of the book alone. The illustrations appear as rest stops, as visual bearings, a punctuation amid the assertive voices, Don of wherever I'm at, you could have done a lot of punctuation. So you, you, could, have, you could have included a lot more visual art, but it, again, it's, it's very economical and, and the words are meant to stand on their own. Talk about the editing that went into, uh, into wherever I'm at, the, the decisions you, you had to make on including and excluding particularly visual art? The, the visual art that I chose and that I um, uh, sought mm -hmm. was never intended to illustrate the poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, intended to amplify the poetry. Okay. And so it added another part, another dimension to this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been a, a big fan of the kind of, you know, the rock and you know mm -hmm. where um like i don't know if you've seen the videos playing for change mm -hmm. or the we are the world video or yeah just, you know you gotta get bruce springsteen and bonnie Raitt because they're always a part of it but i love that in the music world the artists are able to to get up and just purely appreciate yeah what all of their ancestors have done mm -hmm. and their peers are doing and even though they're stars, in that moment, they are all in support of something greater. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I was trying to do with the book, was to try to put together the pieces so that even though each, each piece in and of itself is a star, when you take it together, it's more of a celebration of the greater. Yeah. So that was, really, that was really what guided me. I love, I love the way you put it. I not to compliment, but to amplify the, the, the poem. That, that's, that's great. I agree. Ray, before, before we, we have to let you go, uh, 
your poem in wherever I'm at is Avondale by the river. I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to recite any of it from, from the Dominican Republic here, but I, I'd love to know where you were at or what you were thinking of with that poem and maybe, maybe a little bit about, uh, about the writing itself of the poem. I'll tell you that lately I've been thinking myself more as a, you know, as an artist, not an, an artist in Chicago, but as yeah. a Chicago artist, uh-huh. even though I'm not, I'm not from Chicago. So in my latest novel, the whole second part is about this girl that, that is from the islands, but she meets this Mexican um, scholar that is doing some research and is preparing to run the Chicago Marathon. Mm-hmm. So they, they spend a, a whole uh, Chicago Saturday afternoon drinking beer, buying records, and, and walking around the neighborhood. So uh, when Don approached me, uh, I was like finishing those touches. And I said, how can I resume this whole chapter of the book in a poem? Because it was basically like an homage to my neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, then I, I just see it for me it was like a song with three different uh, stanzas and three different places. Let me see right here. Um, Chicago, truth, memory, and reality, all the same. Emotion and contradiction when the Caribbean grows and runs freely inside of me, like a river, like a portrait of superimpositions cut between verb and essence. Our song started as a mistake on Bucktown under signs that read Black Lives Do Matter, Nelson Algren lives here, ni cojo, ni fio, ni presto. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> wonderful, that is, wonderful. That's so nice. That's great to hear you read it. And uh, and by by the way, uh, that speaks so powerfully to, and I'll say it again, to to the the cornerstone of, of this book is the uh, the absolute diversity, um, the beautiful diversity that that reflects this city, Don, in, in a way that that I. I can't think of another book that that, that does it as uh, as comprehensively and as succinctly as uh, wherever I'm at. Well, thank you. There's there's obviously been a lot of incredible literature about Chicago, and 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 yeah. What I love, and I think all of us readers love about uh, literature, is that it comes at it in so many different ways. So mm-hmm. one novel or one memoir or one poetry collection gives you an insight and an access to a world that maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but that you get to share a kind of intimacy with. And so I think with this book, you get access and insight into a lot of different places and nooks and crannies in Chicago. And it it's a composite mm-hmm. that, that then creates a portrait that's larger. So I appreciate that. I, I don't want to, you know, think of this as being something that has never done, been done before, but hopefully it's done in a unique way that for the moment is, uh, is special. You had, you had to end, end the book someplace. Were, was, there, was there a lot of material that you left uh, off the table that, that you just, that it, it broke your heart that, that you weren't able to include it w- without adding another thousand pages to the book, is is there possibly a volume two? Well, it, there for every uh, poem or piece of art that's in the book, there were at least ten poems or pieces of art that could have been included. Yeah, yeah, and, and not because the the poems or the artwork weren't um, of the same caliber, mm-hmm. but because I was trying to avoid a lot of redundancy. And so with each piece, especially as the book got closer to being complete, with each piece, I was trying to make sure that the additional piece was something that offered Mm -hmm. a new perspective or a unique take or in some way resonated in a different way. And so, yes, absolutely. There's a lot of really good uh, poets and artists who could have been included in this and I wish could have been included. There were some poets and artists that I reached out to, but I just couldn't either get a response or get them yeah. to 
to give me a poem. So you don't pull any punches in, in the book either. There's a poem about Laquan McDonald. There's a poem. Uh, there's a poem about a kid who spends a night in jail uh, after, after a protest. Those are all significant aspects of life in, in a major metropolitan area and city. Please, Mary, please respond. I, I was going to say the Carrie James Marshall painting. Yeah. I thought that was a yes. fantastic choice. And I, he is so powerful he is such a fantastic artist yeah uh, and it, it made me wonder don when you were choosing one did 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 he offer you a choice or was that the one that he gave you well so i don't i don't know carrie james marshall personally and of course he's a um a major international star in the art world i, I would have certainly let carrie pick whatever he wanted but um, I, when I reached out, I wanted to have a few in mind. So that was one of a couple, uh, partly because, again, that it resonated with some of the other work. I love that image in part because it's so, it's hard to describe, but it, it's, it's neutral, but it has this power in its lack of judgment. Like, there, it's not a pro-police, it's not an anti-police. It's got a certain dignity to it mm -hmm. and also frightening aspect to it. It and it resonates with so much different work. And it also, because one of my rules with the poets as well as the artists was that Chicago had to be identifiable in the work. Mm -hmm. It seemed like such an identifiable part of being yeah. in Chicago. And there's so much good and bad embodied in our police force. Mm -hmm. This is this has been this has been a great conversation. Wherever I'm at is a powerful compendium of the best of Chicago contemporary poetry, most especially on the subject of Chicago. It's edited by Donald G. Evans and the late Robin Metz. Uh, included in this critical piece of Chicago culture is photographer, filmmaker, and cinepoet Mary Lavoni. Well, we'll edit all this in post. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> Cinepoet Mary Lavoni. MaryLavoni.com is her website uh, where she's uh, she's hard at work about her upcoming film project with Stuart Dybeck and Dr. Ray Anduhar, an award-winning author, poet, playwright, screenwriter, and filmmaker. He is an assistant professor at Governor State University where he teaches a course in Spanish literature and sociology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was an honor. This I'm, was this I'm was honored wonderful. to be part of this. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Thank you for everything. Thank you for hosting this. Absolutely. Thank you. Ray, it was wonderful. I would love to have have you back. I'd love to have all all of you back and and speak about your individual projects. And just Ray, I, I'd I'd love to tap into uh, into a, a, a bit of insight and history on, on the, the, the Latin Afro indigenous culture of the Dominican Republic. Anytime. All right, brother. If you like this program, click subscribe to receive updates and notifications about future programs. Links to all of our guests are in the notes below. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. We open with Crown Vic Royal off their new album, There's Still Time, with the title track. Visit crownvicroyal.bandcamp.com We close with another of my favorite Chicago artists and a dear friend, A.J. Rosales. A.J. has just released a new live song on the heels of his critically acclaimed 2020 album, Manifestations. Visit ajrosales.com This is Dinosaur. You are a great opponent I seem a strange Saw a tooth, no bullets buried. 
divided.